When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 12 million Australians are under stay-at-home orders. Our biggest cities are under lockdown this morning. Sydney and Melbourne are both fighting a COVID threat, with Victoria returning to stay-at-home orders for an unprecedented fifth time to try to curb the growing outbreak. Here's Nat. Sydney's deadly Delta strain has spread south, forcing Victorians into a five-day snap lockdown overnight. New South Wales has 65 new cases. Victoria recorded seven cases yesterday and Queensland three. Of the 65 new cases in New South Wales, 28 were infectious in the community, 73 coronavirus patients are in hospital, 19 in intensive care. Westmead and Liverpool hospitals are now exposure sites. There are still concerns for Sydney South West and two mystery cases at Emu Plains. There are 929 cases in this outbreak. In Victoria, there are 18 active cases, including a child who was infected at the MCG. There are at least 75 exposure sites with more expected and 6,500 close contacts are in isolation. Victoria's fifth lockdown began at midnight. There are just five reasons to leave home. Shopping within a five kilometre radius, authorised work, exercise outdoors for a limit of two hours, caregiving and compassionate reasons, or to get vaccinated. Victorians can't have visitors. No public gatherings are allowed. Schools are closed with remote learning back today and masks are mandatory indoors. Queensland's new cases included a 12-year-old boy and his father in Redcliffe. The third case is a woman who works at Brisbane International Airport. None of these new cases are linked to known clusters. Masks will remain mandatory in southeast Queensland for at least another week. Here's Matt. Live now to our team of reporters, first to Nathan Templeton in Melbourne CBD. Nath, there were anti-lockdown protests there last night. Yeah, there were and had a few hundred people turned out in the city to uh, rally against the lockdown. They marched from Flinders Street Station up to Parliament chanting sack Dan Andrews. But the Premier says he's just been forced to call our fifth lockdown as those exposure sites control, uh, explode rather. There's at least 15 tier one locations and as you can see they're spread right across the city. There's also a lot of concern about the MCG situation because there is evidence of stranger to stranger uh, transmission there. Also we've learned that a positive case was at the Wallabies rugby test against France at Amy Park on Tuesday night and in the face of all this the Premier says he can't promise it'll all end after just five days. I cannot guarantee 
that it's Tuesday night, but I can certainly guarantee to all my fellow Victorians that we'll work as hard as we possibly can to be out of this on Tuesday night. Now, last night we uh, also saw Victorians scrambling over the South Australian border trying to beat that midnight deadline. That's because SAWA and Tasmania have all declared Victoria uh, as a red zone and also scrambling were panic buyers. Uh, we saw people clearing out the shelves and supermarkets have been forced to put a limit on the amount of toilet paper that people can buy, Matt. Back to the future. Well, Sydney is bracing for a spike in COVID cases today. Live to Tom Hartley and Tom, there are concerns the virus virus is spreading quickly among essential workers. Yeah, well, Matt, considering that there is still no set uh, indicators to say what an essential worker is or what essential work is, there's still a lot of people out and about in the community doing their day job. We learned that yesterday there were 28 infectious people in our community. One of them was here at Minchinbury Manor, a, a contract worker who was working here on Tuesday and Wednesday whilst infectious. Now, effectively locking down this aged care facility as contract tracing begins. Now, residents here and staff are being tested every day and we're told that 90% of them are fully vaccinated so some good news there. Over in Liverpool an ambulance station has been deep cleaned after two more paramedics tested positive. Three cases now associated to that emerging cluster although it's believed that they all got the virus from different sources. Another staff member at Westmead Hospital has tested positive too. Now overnight a number of new exposure sites were identified across multiple suburbs including Emu Plains, Seven Hills and Belrose. But of particular concern are two construction supply companies at Green Acre, where a tradie worked for two weeks while infectious. Three drivers supplying material to a WestConnex worksite in Roselle are also among yesterday's cases. Uh, we're hoping today's announcement comes with uh, a different, uh, uh, some different answers uh, to what the Premier was predicting, a surge in cases. Matt? Yeah, let's hope so. Well, now to political reporter Rob Scott. And Rob, the Prime Minister held crisis talks with Victoria's Premier last night. What came out of that meeting? Well, essentially, Daniel Andrews was able to convince the PM to tweak a plan that he'd announced just a few hours before, a plan which would give workers in all states who are unable to work due to lockdowns that last a week or more access to increased support payments sooner. But under that late-night agreement, Victorians will now qualify for income assistance through, uh, even though the five-day lockdown there falls short of the seven-day trigger for the new payment system. So Victorians who have lost more than 20 hours of work will now be eligible for a payment of $600 those who have lost between 8 and 20 hours can receive $375. The PM hopes the, the new agreement will be a model for other short lockdowns in the future. Now, that will be a major topic of discussion at National Cabinet this afternoon, along with potentially bringing forward a plan to allow pharmacies in metropolitan areas to administer the AstraZeneca jab, uh, hoping to speed up the vaccine rollout. Matt. To Queensland, Emily Arnold is at Brisbane Airport. Emily, three new cases there. Is a lockdown on the cards? Well, Matt, it certainly hasn't been ruled out at this stage. Health authorities are waiting on genome sequencing results, which will tell us whether these new cases are the alpha or the delta strain. But what is clear is that there are two new outbreaks, or at least appear to be two new outbreaks here in the southeast. The first case is a 40-year-old woman. Uh, she somehow caught this, the virus despite being fully vaccinated and is a worker at the Brisbane International Airport. The next two cases 
places are a 12-year-old boy and his father. That little boy and his mother flew back uh, to Australia into Sydney from LA last month. They spent two weeks in hotel quarantine in Sydney before flying to Brisbane last Friday night and that is when the boy became sick. So there are a number of new exposure sites across the southeast, and it also means that mask restrictions, which were due to be lifted today here in the southeast, will now be extended for at least another week. There's also bad news for families of NRL players, uh, which were due to arrive on Saturday. Those from Greater Sydney were told that they would be able to enter Queensland, but the government has since backflipped on that decision, saying they are no longer allowed in. The NRL, though, says it will do whatever it can to ensure families are allowed into that bubble. And Nathan Curry is at the MCG. Nath, uh, logistical challenges emerging all over the place, no doubt right, down, uh, right now. Victoria's lockdown thrown uh, really the AFL into crisis. Oh, it has, Matt. We've still got two games scheduled for the MCG this weekend. They'll probably still go ahead here, given that they're against uh, Victorian teams competing against each other. Certainly no fans here, but we've already seen three other matches and six teams relocated to Queensland, so anything's a possibility at the moment. Even hubs. There's another game in Melbourne, uh, St Kilda and Port Adelaide tomorrow night at Marvel Stadium. Port Power is still expected to fly into Victoria to play that, but as I said, anything's a possibility, Matt. Thank you very much to Nathan and our team of reporters there. Premier Daniel Andrews has struck a late night deal with the Commonwealth, which will see financial assistance provided during lockdowns that last less than a week. The plan, which is subject to National Cabinet approval, will put $600 in the pocket of people who miss over 20 hours of work and $375 for those who lose between 8 and 20 hours. For more, I'm joined by Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. Morning to you, Treasurer. So this this is the third time morning, in six weeks the government has changed that criteria for income and business support. Has your hand been forced here? Well, as the virus evolves, so does our response, Nat. And what we're doing is providing uh, income support from day one of this lockdown in Victoria as long as the workers uh, lose the requisite number of hours per week. And as you say, a $375 payment if you've lost between eight and, nine, and 19 hours a week. And if you've lost 20 or more hours a week of work, then you're eligible for the $600 payment and people can apply through Services Australia. Yeah, it's, and it's a great initiative and I'm sure Victorians are cheering, but it seems it only has happened since the Victorian government has been uh, bullying the Commonwealth all week and saying they've been begging for crumbs and they're about to launch a five-day lockdown. Is that the case? Oh, as the Commonwealth, uh, we don't get bullied by anyone. Um, the reality is uh, we've provided very significant support across the country, more than $300 billion in direct health and economic support since the pandemic began. But Victoria is going to its fifth lockdown and their last lockdown was just over a month ago. So these are very trying days, not just for the people of Victoria, but obviously the more than 5 million people across New South Wales who this morning are also subject uh, to lockdown orders. But our country will get through this net. Uh, We'll come together and we'll support each other and importantly, we'll be stronger at the other end of this crisis. Mm. And just yesterday, we got some very welcome news about the resilience of our labour market with the unemployment rate falling to 4.9%, the lowest 
in a decade. Uh, this took into account the recent lockdown in Victoria, but it didn't take into account the most recent lockdown in New South Wales. So we'll wait and see what happens with future jobs numbers, but certainly the numbers that we received yesterday uh, are a sign that the economy is remarkably resilient. Yeah, they are great figures. Uh, you must be, you know, absolutely wrapped about those today. Uh, the underemployment figure, uh, it's risen to 7.9%. Um, how concerning is that, that people aren't getting enough work, I guess? Well, a couple of points. Um, the headline number is the unemployment number and more than 50,000 new jobs were created uh, and it was the eighth consecutive month that the unemployment rate fell. With respect to underemployment, this was really off the back of what happened in Victoria. Around 40 million hours of work were lost uh, over the course of that month. And we've seen the underemployment rate um, spike up by more than 8% uh, in Victoria. Uh, so, uh, sorry, the hours, of, the hours uh, of work that were lost in Victoria over that month spiked up by more than 8%. But the underemployment rate that you refer to is still the lowest level it's been effectively since 2014. Uh, so it is, it's, there is some resilience in the economy despite that underemployment rate just ticking off ticking up off the back of what happened in Victoria. Okay, we've got obviously big problems in Sydney uh, with the lockdown and, and now Melbourne. How concerned are you uh, that this will affect the economy as a whole? Ned, I think it will affect the economy. It affects investment decisions that get delayed. Uh, obviously, the border closures prevent people moving more freely between states. Supply chains get disrupted. And obviously, people either lose their jobs or are not working the hours that they normally would. Uh, so it is very difficult for the economy. Uh, but again, yesterday's numbers show that we're remarkably resilient. Ahead of any advanced economy around the world, our economy is now bigger than it was going into the pandemic and more people are in work today than going into the pandemic. So there is reason uh, for Australians, despite the current challenges that we face, uh, to know that we will get to the other side and we'll be stronger for it. OK, we know you have to go. Treasurer, thank you for your time this morning. All the best. Here's Matt. Well, for more on the latest COVID-19 developments, I'm joined now by infectious diseases expert, Professor Robert Boy. Professor, morning to you. Victoria, once again, it seems going harder and faster with their lockdown than what we're seeing in New South Wales. Uh, what's your take on this and what does the evidence show, I guess, as to what is more effective? Well, it's complicated, but we're dealing with a different virus now. Delta is considerably more transmissible. So go hard, go early becomes a logical thing to do. New South Wales could have gone a few days earlier. And so that comparison uh, is, is a true one. However, several of the earlier ones where there were lockdowns for three to five days, within a day there were no cases. So you didn't have to go that hard, but, but you played it safe. Now with Delta spreading so much more, go hard, go early is a safe and effective way to go forward. Well, there's a lot of people looking at what's happening in uh, New South Wales and saying we're going moderately hard and a little bit late. So is that enough? No, we are going hard and uh, we're getting 
pretty good control. If you compare us to Taiwan, which had uh, a month ahead of us, they, uh, they took eight weeks to get under control, and they did with a lower vaccination rate than us. So we can do it. We are very effective, really. The numbers are under 100 already consistently for four, four days. So New South Wales uh, is in a good position, but there is a likelihood of an upswing again today because so many are transmitting and infected in the community. Yeah, we're really hoping that those numbers have peaked, uh, as some are predicting. What about the data, can I ask you, Professor, coming out of the UK about the Delta variant, as you've touched on, uh, that, is, that suggests really, despite the rollout of the vaccine program, which has been great, uh, we're starting to see strain on the health system again? There is some strain. The Delta is different because it's more transmissible, but also it's interesting because the symptoms are changing. It's becoming better adapted to humans and it's becoming more like the common cold with a runny nose, a sore throat, uh, a headache. So the only virus that could outrun uh, COVID last year was the common cold called rhinovirus. We saw that in nursing homes with small outbreaks. But if the virus continues to adapt to humans and to cause different symptoms, cold-like symptoms and perhaps less severe disease, that's the early indication from the UK, less severe disease, uh, then that would be a good thing. But we're only going to get there with a really high vaccination rate. For the moment, COVID is serious. It's 10 times more likely to kill you than flu. Do what you can to prevent it in your home, in your family, in your uh, community. Yeah, great advice. Um, really encouraging to hear that the symptoms might be less damaging. Uh, Professor Robert Boy, uh, thank you for your time this morning. And 7 News has a special investigation into our unfolding COVID spread. Uh, the crisis exposed is this Sunday at 8.30. Here's Nat. An Australian biotech company believes a nasal spray could be a key way to kill COVID and it's looking for a group of healthy Aussies to put that to the test. Ina Respiratory claims the spray can prevent infection by activating an immune response in the nose. It's already been proven to work in ferrets. We're joined now by Dr Chris Smith from Ina Respiratory. Morning to you. How will the trial work? Oh, hi, Nat, and good morning to you as well. So the trial's under, underway already, already dosed the first uh, couple of cohorts of patients, and it's going really well. The study's taking place in Randwick at Scientia uh, Clinical Research, so right there in Sydney, uh, and we're really looking to roll out for another 100 subjects, healthy people, 18 to 55-year-olds, really to show that this is safe, really well tolerated in patients, as it has been uh, in all of our studies before humans. So... If it can prevent COVID, how different is it to getting a vaccine? Uh, that's a really good question. So it's, it's really different. So vaccines work by teaching your body through the acquired immune system. Uh, this nasal spray actually boosts uh, a component of your immune system called the innate immune system. That's an ancient part of our immune system that we share with most living things. And what it does is actually generates, gets your nose and your upper respiratory tract into an antiviral state. So the virus can't actually take a hold in the first place. In doing that, you reduce the amount of virus, you reduce the amount of transmission, and you keep it under control so that you never really get sick in the first place. Okay, so the trials have started. What's the next step? How far away are we to getting this approved? Yeah, well, it's always a question that um, people want to know. And as you know, new therapies always have to go through a very regulated uh, approval system. We're doing phase one trials at the moment. That's looking at the safety uh, and just checking that it works the way uh, we think it does and really drives that antiviral uh, immune response. 
Second stage will be to go somewhere where there's an outbreak of COVID and really show that this works to prevent uh, that infection with COVID-19 uh, and the transmission and the adverse events we're seeing with COVID. Uh, and also to check that, you know, as we expect, because this works on the host, because it works on the human, that it's effective uh, as we expect against not just this variant of COVID-19, but other variants, uh, and that it also works against rhinovirus and other things as well. So we're doing that work at the moment. Uh, as we've known with the, with the pandemic recently, uh, we're able to get mm. uh, new therapies approved really quickly, and that's necessary, and everybody's working around the clock to make sure this happens over the next few months. Okay, thank you very much, Chris. Moving on now in the push to locally manufacture mRNA vaccines like Pfizer and also Moderna, a step closer now with the federal government's deadline for commercial bids closing today. The plan would see domestic facilities manufacturing as many as 25 million COVID vaccines, but it could take several years to get production up and running. At the CSL facility in Melbourne, the AstraZeneca vaccine rolls along the production line. The government's original plan was for the homemade jab to make up the majority of our vaccination program. But that's not how it's turned out. Changes to the health advice on who should get AstraZeneca have upped pressure for vaccines that use cutting-edge mRNA technology. That's the tech used in Moderna and Pfizer, and it's emerged as a COVID game-changer. So domestic manufacture of this technology is really important for Australia. We desperately need these COVID vaccines, but looking forward into the future, there is a huge potential for other vaccines used with this platform. But right now, Australia doesn't have the facilities to locally produce mRNA vaccines. The government wants to change that. In December, it asked for a business case and in May, it sought submissions for the task. What we're looking for is people that not only have access to the intellectual property, but who can scale that up to 25 million plus vaccinations for future health needs, for pandemics, but also who will be able to produce this type of technology at scale for other therapeutic needs, treatment of cancer, cardiovascular disease, and can do that on a sustainable commercial footing for at least the next decade. There's been criticism that the government moved too slowly to put local mRNA manufacture on the agenda. We had a business case for the domestic manufacture of mRNA vaccines underway before the first vaccines were approved for use in Australia. So I'm not sure how much quicker you can start the process than that. After submissions close today, there's no set time for when the government will choose the winning manufacturer. And once it does... I think probably a best case scenario is that the successful company or consortium that is supported by the government to set up mRNA vaccine production in Australia could get things up and running within 12 months of getting that green light. Um, that would be a realistic but optimistic time frame. Names in the running include Moderna, which would need to set up a facility, CSL at its Melbourne factory, and Biosena, which owns an old Pfizer plant in Adelaide and is leading a consortium that includes the South Australian government and Adelaide University. We're joined now by Biosena CEO Ian Weisenberg. Ian, morning to you. Uh, tell us, what sets your submission apart from the others? 
Hi, hi, good morning. Pleasure to be with you. I'm great fans. Uh, before I could just say one thing, it's just a shout out to everyone who are viewers uh, on the lockdown right now. Uh, my heart goes out to everyone. Um, so uh, we as the Biocena and our consortium uh, sets us apart because we really have a facility. You showed a good picture of the old Pfizer facility. It's ready to go. Uh, we have all the equipment we need, the expansion requirements for the uh, population scale uh, we believe can get done within 12 months. And we have a great partner for the uh, fill finish, which is a requirement. The um, uh, aseptic fill finish is for uh, sterile fill finish, uh, also in South Australia. So within 12 months, uh, we, we're very, very excited about getting this underway and uh, bringing jabs to the, to the arms of the locals. So the mRNA technology for the COVID vaccines is actually owned by Moderna and Pfizer. So how will you be able to access it if you're successful? Well, it, so that's an interesting question. Um, the actual um, mRNA technology has been around since the 80s, 80s and 90s. So it's a well-known uh, process and the manufacturing is fairly, fairly straightforward, frankly. Um, but Moderna and Pfizer have their own technology around that particular product that they make using that platform. And there are probably more than 150 companies around the world right now that are using mRNA to develop different pro products, including vaccines, as we all know very well, but uh, therapies as well, cancer uh, therapies and so forth. Mm. So there's a huge opportunity around the mRNA platform. Uh, Ian, uh, really quickly, is, there's so much at stake here in terms of the, the, the future of, um, of life here in Australia, really. If you get selected, how quickly could you be up and running? And I guess by that I mean how quickly could we see vaccines being distributed from your Adelaide facility? Well, I, I still believe that uh, within the next 12 months we will be up and running. Uh, whether those vaccines themselves will be available, that depends on the TGA and how quickly that gets approved locally. Uh, and also our partner for the field finish, um, that, that's, re that's essentially on, on the manufacturers to provide us that equipment in a, in a good order of time because that's the long lead time. Right. Okay, Ian, thank you very much. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Take care. 31 and Tom Lee joins us now. Morning to you. Why did you do it? And do you feel bad for taking two vaccines which could have gone to someone else? I did it because I wanted the best possible protection against the coronavirus. And I don't feel bad for taking of someone else. I don't think I've pinched it from anyone else. 
When I got that first Pfizer shot back in um, back at the end of May, I didn't intend to get Pfizer. I went to the vaccination center expecting to get AstraZeneca. But you might remember this was back when the Atagi was saying no one my age should have AstraZeneca. So I was told there that they only had Pfizer. So I was put on the spot. I could either go home empty handed or I could take the Pfizer. And I decided since I'd gone all the way to the vaccination center, I might as well get the Pfizer and get the mixture. Tom, I appreciate your desire to explain this away, but I mean, in what stratosphere have you not pinched it from someone else? You could have stopped it too, you had four. Well, I, when they take the Pfizer out of the fridge, they've got to use it. And um, like they had allocated Pfizer to everyone there on the day. I got there at the end of the day and just asked if I could get vaccinated. And um, Did you tell they, them the um, truth about what had happened previously or was that perhaps a bit of omission of detail? I, I admitted that I had had the AstraZeneca, I did, but I didn't bump anyone from the queue to Otherwise get that Otherwise known Pfizer. as a lie. Once they take it... Yeah, you, that's your word, mate, not mine. But the important thing here is that that Pfizer was going to go in the bin and, and unless it went in my arm. Like, okay. it, was, it was going to the bin, mate. So, in, look, in other countries, you can mix your vaccines. In this country, you're not actually that's allowed right. to. So when they are sitting there and you've already had the AstraZeneca, and they say, have you had the AstraZeneca? And you say no, mm. in anyone's language, that's a lie, isn't it? Yeah, but the Atagi says you can't mix. That's, they're our guys, but all around the world, other people's Atagi equivalents are saying you should mix. The, um, it's, it's better than just plain Astra. And um, I mean, you've seen my immunization history. Everyone else's will look like that at some point. The Atagi is going to change its mind because Astra is good, but it's not, it's not as good as Astra and Pfizer together. Interested, Tom, uh, by your, you, you know, you're, you're obviously not all that remorseful about how this has played out. What do, you, what do your mates say? What sort of a response have you been receiving, you know, from Australians as you kind of stand up and wear this proudly yeah. as a badge? Yeah, it depends who you ask, mate. I've, uh, I've realised there's a deep vein of anti-vaccine sentiment in this country and they've lost their minds that uh, I've, had, I've had four, let alone two. And um, that's one set. Then there are the, uh, the, uh, the vaccine hesitant people, the people who are waiting for Pfizer. And, um, and I mean... There's a third bunch of people Pfizer's who can't get way. vaccines get is the problem. You know, you've got anti-vaxxers, well, vaccine hesitancy and people who want it because they can't, can't see their families it. who are a bit angry. Well, the, uh, the AstraZeneca factory down in Melbourne is making a million a week. It's, um, and I think what I've done it's, uh, it's shown that the vaccines are out there. They're available mm. where they're... Tom, just go and get them. Just one I'm, last thing. What did your yeah. mum say? Mum wasn't impressed. Mum uh, has been amongst uh, the vaccine hesitant. She's uh, in that age group where, they're, where there is a preponderance of them. Uh, but she's come around now. Mm, OK. Not very impressed. OK. Thank you, Tom, for explaining your side of the story. No worries, guys. Have a good day. Oh, OK, this is kind of strange too. Clubs Australia <laughs> is offering a tasty incentive once the country has reached a high enough vaccination rate. It's planning one big celebration day where patrons can receive a free drink or meal if they can prove they've had the COVID jab. They're calling it 
schooner or schnitty for a shot. Clubs Australia is asking the government to waive excise tax for the day on alcohol so the event can go ahead at more than 6,000 clubs across Australia. And for more, we're joined by Clubs Australia CEO Josh Landis. And Josh, uh, morning to you. How long is it going to take us to get to that celebration day, do you think? Well, that's the magic question, uh, Matt and Nat. Uh, we need the government to tell us what is a realistic percentage for vaccination. It can't be 80%. No country in the world has hit 80%. But when we hit the magic number, don't we deserve to celebrate? Isn't that a great thing when we can open up and not have lockdowns anymore? Yeah, we, we tried for a lot of people to download the app and we could only get to about 30% or something, couldn't we? So maybe we need to lower our expectations. <laughs> um, we spoke to the Treasurer's team. They've told us uh, they will not be waiving the excise tax for beer, which you also wanted. Can you still go ahead with this? Well, it's pretty disappointing so far from the federal government, but they've got time to change their mind. Uh, we need to incentivise people. We know incentives work. And if the federal government wants to stop dishing out handouts and instead get the economy back on track, then they'll join the party so that we can all party. The, the alcohol aspect might be a little more controversial, but surely we can all galvanise and get behind a free schnitty. Uh, you've got the platform there, Josh. Make your case for free schnitty day. Well, what we do in business is we create targets and when we hit that target, we all have a party. And so what we're talking about here is saying if you do the right thing, you get those jabs for Australia uh, so that we never go into lockdown again, so that kids can go back to school instead of homeschooling, so that people can work instead of getting a handout from the government, you've done the right thing. You deserve a reward and we're going to give it to you at your local club. You can get a meal, you can get a drink, you can celebrate with your friends and get your life back on track. That's worth celebrating. We're going to make that happen. Hope yeah. the schnitty comes with sauce. Well, see, the Lieutenant General, he might like this. He talks about setting the targets and aiming for them. This might be right up his alley. We might talk to him. Thank you, Josh.